before we get started, I'd like to pray for us, um, pray for this time. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your great love for us, that you care so deeply about us, and that you walk with us um, through all the troubles in life, that you use those for our good. We lift up this time to you and pray that you would change us, teach us. Um, we leave here changed um, and thoroughly impressed with Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to write three words up here. Oh, I'm writing way too big. What do I want to do? All right. Well, that's all right. That's all right. All right, so we've got three words up here, miracles, resurrection, throne. I think that's a pretty complete picture of Jesus' life, wouldn't you say? So now that we all agree on that, can we move on? <laughs> what? <laughs> you think so? Well, all right, well, maybe we should talk about that. What do, you think, uh, what do you think I'm missing? What about Jesus' life, what he's done, what his life was about? Birth? There you go. Something. Okay. Anything else? Death on a cross. Is death on a cross? Oh, that's a pretty big one, yeah. <laughs> death on cross. Alright, anything else I'm missing? Teaching. Teaching? Yeah. Without sin. Without sin? Yeah, that's perfect. We don't have to hit everything, but is there anything you're burning to say that we don't have up there right now? You know, Faithfulness. Family. Family? What? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. All right. All right. Rejection. Rejection. Oh, yeah. Obedience. Rejection. Obedience. Well, you guys know a lot about Jesus. That's pretty good. <laughs> Obedience. Oh, that's good. Anything else? He suffered. I guess that's part of the death on the cross. Suffered. All right, well, that's a good place to stop. I guess I missed a few things about Jesus, those three words. Um, the biggest thing we, I think we missed was, was death on the cross. It was a pretty important part of his life. Um, if we didn't have that full picture of Jesus, if we just had those three words, we'd have a very incomplete picture of who Jesus is is. Uh, we might get discouraged when we experience suffering or we encounter our own limitations and weaknesses. Um, we might be less willing to talk about our troubles with other people. Uh, we might be less willing to pursue action for God's sake uh, that might cause discomfort or risk something for us. Um, the Corinthian church was being sold on an incomplete version of Jesus, much like the three words I gave you. Um, and our passage today is actually the Apostle Paul's response to that incomplete version um, that they were being sold by some false teachers. So um, a little bit about Paul, if you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, they give us a backdrop for this. I love context for passages. If I could just talk for 30 minutes about the context of the passage, I'd be pretty happy. But, um, so I won't, get, you know, I won't go into too much detail. But uh, Paul started off as a very zealous teacher of the law. Uh, and Jews cared very much that everyone followed the law 
uh, because the last time that didn't happen, um, they were sent into exile and it was a horrible, terrible thing. So they care a lot about people following the law. And these people that follow Jesus were causing lots of trouble because they were not following the law as the Jews thought. So Paul made it his mission to persecute Christians and to um, kill them, make their life very challenging. He was actually on his way to do that on the road between two towns when Jesus stopped him, blinded him, and um, called him into a different life. Um, and ever since then, he started planting churches in modern-day Turkey and Greece. Uh, but he couldn't be at all the churches that he started. So when he would leave, you know, he would set up people to lead and guide the church. But oftentimes, people would step in and try to change the direction and purpose and focus of those churches. So, and that's what happened in Corinth. Um, Corinth is a special city in Greece. Um, you can think of it sort of like the Panama Canal. Has anyone ever heard of the Panama Canal? It's a very important place in the world. Um, and they didn't have a canal in, in Corinth, but um, they had actually take ships out of the water and tr travel them over this little bit of land. Um, that, rather than having to go all the way around Greece, it was a much faster and easier way. And also, Corinth was kind of destroyed and then rebuilt. So in the rebuilding process and the fact that they were on this important trade route meant that they were actually able to be upwardly mobile in this town, which is very unusual for that time. And so it actually fits very much with our current society today where we can be upwardly mobile, we're not stuck in the same sort of economic class our whole lives. Um, and so our culture today focuses on success and wealth and pleasure, uh, much like theirs did at the time. The appeal of wealth and status to them was intoxicating. Um, today, similarly so, we are bombarded with ads that appeal to our desire for wealth and status and that you know, try to sell us on ways that we can be rich and happy and successful. So again, you know, Paul couldn't be physically present at this, this uh, church and these false teachers stepped in and much of 2 Corinthians, uh, a few chapters of it is trying to uh, defend against these false teachers. Um, they stepped in and tried to take over his church for their own selfish gain. Um, they preached a message, again, that's very similar to what I just said. It was true, but an incomplete picture of who God was. Um, and in the style of the day, these preachers were very charismatic and very impressive. Um, if you wanted to follow people that were very impressive, you wanted to be like them. Um, but their picture of Jesus was more focused on his power you know, the resurrection, throne, his miracles, and less on the suffering, his rejection, his death on the cross. So they were impressive, and Paul was not. Paul was the opposite of impressive, and he lived a life of suffering um, and pain and trial. So um, the Corinthians had a choice to make. Would they follow Paul, who lived a life of suffering and called them into a life of suffering that led to the true Jesus and true joy, or would they follow a false Jesus who appealed to what they wanted and the life that they wanted, but led to emptiness instead. The other thing that is happening is Paul's credibility is being called into question uh, by boastful people. And how do you best a boaster without playing their game? You want to model for your congregation uh, what you want for them without playing their game. So how is Paul going to respond to this? And that's where our passage comes into play. So on that note, let's dive into the passage. I'm going to reread. Verses 1 through 7, so that's Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. 
I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about someone like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Okay, so this is kind of a weird passage. Uh, it's easy to skip over. It doesn't really fit well on a coffee mug uh, compared to verse 9, when my grace is sufficient for you. Um, so it's kind of weird. But essentially, uh, this was a heavenly experience or vision that Paul had. And at first glance, it doesn't seem like Paul's the one who had it because the way he's talking about it, um, you know, it's not really using his name, it's talking in third person, but it's just the way that they talk. Um, this is something that he experienced. He's not sure if this was something that he physically was present and saw, or if it was a vision or dream that he had. Um, he doesn't know. Um, if this happened today, you, you would hear about it, because there'd be movies and books and articles made, and in fact, when people think they've experienced heaven and come back from the dead, we do hear about it. Um, so he had the choice of taking advantage of this for his ministry, but he chose not to. He chose to boast in God instead of himself. Um, it's easy for us to boast in gifts from God. If, you know, if we were in Paul's situation, we might be tempted to do that. We boast in our abilities, our money, our jobs, our, our awards, our popularity, our good deeds. Um, the false teachers actually did this to try to win over the Corinthians. So Paul was tempted. I don't need these markers anymore. All right. Paul was tempted to go down this path. But if he, if he was tempted, if he was thinking about going down this path, um, God made it a little easier for him um, by allowing suffering into Paul's life to keep him humble. Um, pride was going to ruin Paul's ministry. So I won't go much into the idea of suffering. Um, today I will talk about it, but not in length, because Mitch actually just preached a sermon on this a few weeks ago. And the takeaway point was that God is powerful enough to turn our suffering, um, um, to use it for our good. So we don't know exactly what the thorn was. Paul doesn't say. There's a lot of speculation about it. But he calls it a messenger of Satan, which is, which is quite a statement. Um, so it doesn't seem like God actually orders harm on us, but he does allow suffering um, and hardship. And again, it's powerful enough to use it for our gain. Um, the point, I think, is that we are to make much of Jesus, like Paul did. We want people to be impressed with God and not us. Uh, the more people were impressed with Paul the less they'd be impressed with Jesus. Um, when the focus is on us, it actually obscures or blurs uh, the picture of Jesus. So I brought something to illustrate this. So I'm kind of excited about it. So, um, what, what is this picture of? Celebration. Oh, there? Yeah. The White Sox? What, what specifically about? When they won the World Series. And how do you know that? What can you say? It says that. Well, they're yeah. excited. They're excited. Yep. It says world champs. World champs. Yep. See, this in the front, in the foreground, that's the focus of the picture. What, what's back here? The fans. The fan. Can you see them? 
No, that's not the that's not the focus. They're kind of blurry. If I if I wanted to show you a picture, so actually it's about these fans right here. This is what this picture is about. This would be a pretty poor picture because they're pretty pretty blurry, right? You can't really see what they're about. So I have this hanging in my basement. It's pretty exciting. But um, <laughs> so this right here. Um, so same same sort of thing. Um, when we try to make the picture or try to make us the focus, it blurs picture of Jesus, just like we couldn't see the faces of the fans. Um, it's the same thing. So Paul even says in this passage um, that he does not want people to think more of him than they ought to, because when they do, it blurs the picture of Jesus. He's devoted to starting these communities that are absolutely impressed with Jesus and willing to die for him. Um, he doesn't need them to be thoroughly impressed with him, um, only to the extent that it lends them credibility so they believe what he says, not so that they devote their lives to him. So we can already see how Paul is very different um, from his opponents, who again are trying to make the focus on them. All right, so how does Paul respond to the suffering in his life? We can read it starting in verse 8. It says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, uh, I, I came to think after studying this, this, this verse sounds very nice, but what does it actually mean? Uh, it's kind of a little opaque, I think. Um, so, what does perfect mean? Does it mean, I know, 100 out of 100 on a test? Is that what that means in this context? I don't think so. Uh, I think in this context it means complete or fullness, fulfilled, you know, manifested, shows up, you know, made known. It means, I think it means that, that his... His grace is sufficient for you. My, my power is made complete, maybe you might say. Now, what does weakness mean? I think it means in this context limits or suffering or neediness. So my, my, uh, my version, my translation of this passage, to hopefully illuminate this a bit more, uh, is this is God speaking to Paul. He says, I am enough for you. My undeserved favor and love are enough for you. For my power fully rests on you and shines through when you reach your limits and are in need of me. I'll read that again. I am enough for you. My undeserved favor and love are enough for you. For my power fully rests on you and shines through when you reach your limits and are in need of me. So why is that? Why is that the case? I think it has to do with God's goal for our life. If, his, if he thought about us and said, do whatever makes you happy, I don't think there'd be suffering in this life. But there is a lot of suffering. So instead, I think his goal for us is a humility that leads to joy in him. Um, it's a recognition of our weakness and our need to have him as our king and savior. Um, and that kind of humility leads us to joy. So our weakness makes room for that truth. It makes room for God's grace and favor in our life. It makes room for his power. Great truth, grace, and power. If you're a note-taking person, write those down. So truth, grace, and power. Um, I want to stress that humility in Christ leads to joy. As Mitch and I were talking about this, we're like, well, what is so appealing about humility that leads to suffering? Why, why would we challenge people to do that? Uh, why is Paul challenging people to do that? Um, but as I thought about it, you know, prideful people are not joyful. Um, prideful people are never satisfied because they believe they deserve more than what they have. Um, but joyful, or sorry, but humble people, particularly people 
who are humbled through a relationship with Jesus, um, they are filled with joy because they see that they've been given way more than they deserve. Um, and Paul clearly shows this. So he delights in what God has done and is doing. Um, I also think that pride is limited by what the world can offer. We're always going to be disappointed by what the world can offer. But humility is only limited by God, which is good news because he's a very generous and gracious father um, whose grace, as this passage says, is sufficient for us. Um, his love for us and his grace is enough to get us through hardship, um, to change us, and to lead us into the joy that he offers us. Um, humility makes room for God's purpose in our life. And we can see that, as we talked about in the intro, um, Jesus lived a life of suffering and rejection, um, and that through that was able to accomplish a purpose of God's life through the mere resurrection and then reigning on the throne. Um, when we don't see ourselves as greater than as we ought to, when we see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, um, I think we're open to the truth of the cross. Uh, we come to know God's grace personally, we experience it, um, we experience his power to change us and the lives of the people around us. So again, <coughs> our weakness makes room for God's truth, grace, and power. Okay, so this was God, this was uh, Paul, or, sorry, this was God's response to Paul. So how is Paul going to respond to that? Because that's not what that's not what Paul was asking. He was asking God to remove this thorn. Um, he didn't get what he wanted. So how does he respond? And I'll finish reading verse 9 and then read the rest of the passage. So therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so my obvious question reading this was, does Paul actually delight in weakness? I don't know if you imagine someone experiencing you know, hardship and then delighting in that. Um, I don't think it means that he actually felt joy in the midst of the weakness. I think it means that he felt joy knowing what God would do through that and with that weakness in his life. Uh, I had this picture in my head of Paul waiting on hold with Comcast for an hour um, I don't think he was like dancing up and down, just so excited um, at, at that, that trial in his life. Um, so rather, he has a deep conviction that God's going to use that, um, use the suffering and, and trials and weaknesses uh, for his glory um, and to help, to help Paul in his ministry. Because he's seen it over and over again. He's gotten through these really hard situations, um, and, and God has used that to further his ministry um, and to accomplish his will. So... Again, an introduction to Paul. He was blinded on his way to kill Christians, and, and, and that was the best thing that happened to him. It completely changed his life. So, um, when Paul was weak, it gave him the opportunity to see God's power at work. And God's power is much greater than our own. All right. So, let's see if I'm missing something never a good sign. All right. Oh, here we go. Okay. So, and I think, too, I thought about the picture of Jesus on the cross. It's not as if when Jesus on the cross, we're dancing up and down, just so excited to see that. I don't know if you guys have seen The Passion of the Christ, the movie. Have you seen it? I've seen it once. I don't plan on seeing it again because it's a very brutal depiction of what happened to Jesus. If you've never seen it, I, I recommend it. But I've had opportunities to watch it since then. I'm like, mm, no, like, 
I don't want to you know, ruin my mood by watching the terrible thing happen to Jesus. Um, so again, we don't, we don't sit there and watch it like, oh, wow, so amazing that he's suffering like that. But instead, what we rejoice over and delight in is what that means for us, that what the result of that suffering brings for us, that we can have a relationship with Jesus and that you know, we can experience his power and the joy from that, that we we're celebrate that he would endure that for our sake because um, he loves us that much. When we humbly accept that gift, the result is joy, is delight. Um, and it, it makes me you know, wonder, for you, have you ever looked back on a difficult time in your life and thanked God for that and saw how he, how he used that in your life? Um, and a big part of my story you know, has that theme. So my freshman year of college, I finished my freshman year, and I had a very hard finals week. And um, I saw how God used that in my life, and, and it was amazing. For the first time, I saw just how God could come in through something hard and walk alongside me with that. But shortly after that, I found out that someone uh, close to me had attempted suicide, and I was devastated by that. Um, and it was, it was a really challenging time for me. But God orchestrated all the events surrounding that so that I went immediately on a week-long retreat with all my college friends, part of InterVarsity um, Christian Fellowship. So we plopped me in this community of people that could sit with me in that pain and help me process. Um, and for the, so I actually got to learn through that pain um, that, that God loves me deeply. I got to experience the, the truth of God as a loving Father who sees me and helps me um, and helps me through hard times and actually got to experience His grace. And that ultimately led me to be baptized. I was experiencing His response to that. So, we experience troubles in this life. I think we can agree with that. Um, if God's goal for us is humility, that leads to a deepening relationship with him, then uh, and that also leaves, that makes room for his truth, grace, and power. How should we respond when, as Paul says, we can counter weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties? What does it actually look like to boast, as Paul did, in our weakness? So, first, I think it's helpful to look at how we normally respond to that and how that's not that helpful. So these are the ways we naturally respond. Um, first, I think we avoid it. We pretend it's not there or it's not a big deal. Um, and I tend to be really guilty of this. Um, the problem will go away on its own. Like, but that's kind of a child's mentality. I don't have to clean up this mess. It's going to clean itself up. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that Emma wishes I saw more messes that need to be cleaned up. So, uh, but how, you know, one of the things I thought of, how often do you hear about the national debt in our country? Not very often. I think as a collective, we just decided that it's just not a problem. It's just going to go away on its own. Um, so another thing we do is we run from it. So we, we know what might cause us hardship and take us out of our comfort zone, um, and we run from those situations. We don't want to be just, you know, experience that discomfort, experience vulnerability, um, but Jesus faced that temptation too as he, as he marched his way to the cross um, and he prayed a prayer very similar to Paul if you recall in the Garden of Gethsemane you know, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me very similar language to what Paul used um, and thankfully he did not run from the cross we also try to hide it we don't let others see our mess um, so we don't have to deal with it so, and we also we don't want to deal with their possible rejection of us for seeing our mess. We don't want to deal with their influence over us and telling us what to do to fix the mess. Um, if, I see, if I let you see my problem, you might tell me what to do 
um, or leave me. And let's be honest, there's a lot of unsafe people out there that we've learned that I won't deal gently with our weakness, so we try to hide. Another thing we do is we try to focus on strength and being positive. And that's what the false teachers were kind of advocating. Um, this doesn't really leave any room for weak people. If you try to enter into a community where everyone has it together and is strong, um, when you start to experience weak, weakness and hardship, um, if you're trying to match all that positivity and strength, you might really call into question, is this all true? Do I fit here? Am I, is there a place for me here? This, and then we tend to isolate. Um, do you know that actually spending lots of time on social media makes you more unhappy? It's because, and studies show this, it's because everyone posts, what, do they post all the negative thoughts and feelings they have every day? Well, some people do, but it's kind of like, oh, why would they post that? But it's all overwhelmingly positive about how amazing this person is, how amazing my trip was, wow, this coffee is amazing. Um, when we see that, our life doesn't really tend to match up with that, and so we feel depressed, we feel like we're missing out. Another thing we do is we play the blame game. So it's someone else's fault that I'm experiencing this problem. Um, we don't really do anything about our suffering or pain because, well, how could we? It's someone else that's causing it. So think for a moment and write down which response do you tend to give to weakness and the suffering in your life? Do you run from it? Do you hide it? Do you avoid it? Do you blame other people? Or something I didn't mention either. All right, so what will help us respond differently? Because we don't want to respond those ways because those aren't helpful. Um, remember in the beginning, we highlighted that an incomplete picture of Jesus lead us astray. Um, so we need to start with a better picture of Jesus. And God's response to Paul actually points us in that direction. So God focuses on what we would call the four G's. So I've got that right here. Can you look at that? So God is great. God is glorious. God is good and God is gracious. There are other things that describe God, but these are four really core ones. So based on what I've talked about and the passage, especially um, the statement, my grace is sufficient for you, or my power is made perfect in weakness, uh, which of these four Gs do you see um, in the passage? Not all at once. No. <laughs> God is great. He's great. Have to be in control. Yeah. We're, yeah. He says right here, he's, he's powerful, right? So we got God is great. We got that one. Any other ones we see? I feel like a lot of these natural responses to weakness has to do with fear of others. Hmm. So if we believe that God is glorious, then yeah. we don't have to hide from people or run from them or focus on strength. gracious. Yeah. Yeah, it says right here, his, yeah, his grace is sufficient for you. He, he sees us in our weakness and he, he loves us and, and helps us. There's one left. God is good. Does that apply too? How so? Does someone want to say? God is more satisfying than us being strong. Yeah. We can find our strength in, yeah. in our earth satisfaction in our strength. Yeah, the, the false teachers were asking the Corinthians, or you know, they're appealing to their desire for wealth. Like, this will satisfy you, being 
being wealthier beyond your dreams and having the status that comes with that. Um, but you know, God is more satisfying. When he says my grace is sufficient, you know, my grace is satisfying. Grace is you know, all-encompassing. So when Paul was reminded of those truths about who God is and what he's doing, um, he was encouraged. So we need to start with those truths. Um, if we don't have that accurate picture of Jesus, then we get discouraged when we experience those trials and suffering and pain. Um, and we tend to isolate ourselves. So remember, God is present with us in the hardships. He doesn't abandon us. He's a good father who provides for us. He's shaping us so that he is the center of our lives. He is powerful to work in the midst of our troubles, and experiencing that does wonders for our faith. He created us with limits and needs, and he's gracious and patient towards us. So how can we let this passage shape our daily lives? How do we respond differently? So there's three things I have. So the first one is, in our personal walk with God, we need to bring our weakness and troubles to him. Paul prayed and didn't get the response he wanted. We saw that. But he got something far better that ended up encouraging millions of Christians um, in the last 2,000 years. Uh, God knew what Paul needed, not only for himself, but also for his ministry. He revealed himself to Paul. That's what Paul got. We can meet with God in prayer and through scripture expecting to encounter him. I've experienced God most when I have humbled myself enough to consistently meet with him um, through prayer and scripture. Um, and I vividly, oh, and also in that, bringing my pain and struggles to him. I vividly remember venting my frustration on a walk with God about sin in my life. God, I have this sin in my life. I don't like it. It's here. Like, why aren't you doing more to, to fix this? Like, I need you. Um, you know I can't do this on my own, so why aren't you helping me? It's a conversation I had many times with God. But I, I vividly remember him, what felt like he was saying to me, are you trying to get to know me? And I stopped right there in the middle of the sidewalk and thought, what does that mean? You know, that's not what I was asking. That uh, doesn't make any sense. But a few weeks later, just going through my daily reading of Scripture, I encountered First John, uh, the verse that says, uh, the one who knows God does not sin. Oh, okay. Still not what I wanted, but it explains what he was trying to get me um, to know. So, yeah, the first one is we can spend time with God and bring our struggles and our troubles and our pain to him so we can actually meet him. Um, he reveals himself to us. The second one is we can step out of our comfort zone for God's sake. There's a clear call in this passage um, that Christians were going to be persecuted if they were not already being persecuted and, and seeing trouble. Um, so they were being asked to step out of their comfort zones for God's sake. We hear from our culture all the time, it's all about us, what we deserve. I see so many like signs and salons and stuff. It's like, you know, get the... You know, what, you deserve this, or whatever the message is. Um, but if we take Jesus as our model of how we should live, we should choose sacrifice and hardship for God's sake and for others' sake. Um, and through that, we'll experience God more deeply. Emma and I sacrificed a lot in coming out here to help with church planting. We sacrificed time and energy and money closest to our family. Um, but through that, we've had the opportunity to experience God um, in a much more profound way. We've seen his power and his grace uh, more clearly than if we would have chosen that safe path of staying in Libertyville um, and not doing this. Well, second one, again, is that we can step out of our comfort zones uh, for God's sake. Third 
in our community, we can share about our weaknesses. It's an obvious one uh, from this passage, and the songs kind of reflect that, and what Mitch was saying earlier reflects that. Um, when I experience um, the attempted suicide of someone close to me, God put community in my life that I could share with. Um, I went on that week-long retreat, and there were people there to encourage me, and I experienced um, God in a whole new way. I experienced the truth of who he is and his graciousness, his love, his power. Um, I would not have experienced that if I had hid all that and not shared that with other people. Um, the other thing is when, when we share, uh, when others share our weaknesses, or sorry, when people share their weaknesses or troubles with you, it gives you an opportunity to speak into their lives. And for me, when people share their troubles um, that actually encourages me because I get to speak the truth of who God is. So it's not just for our sake that we share, um, but it's for others' sake too because they get to be reminded of the truths about who God is. Um, weakness and suffering can also unite us. It brings us closer together because it breaks down barriers. It's very hard to build meaningful relationships with people who have it all together and never share any of their problems or pain um, with you. So it'll... Most of all, sharing about our weaknesses and suffering with others actually allows God to be glorified um, because it sees people see us as we ought to be seen, not um, this different picture of us, just like I mentioned earlier, the picture of the White Sox celebrating. See all the blurriness in the back. When we share our suffering and pain with other people, they see the clear picture of who we are, and it, you know, it makes the picture of God more clear um, in their life. So it gives God glory when we get to share with others our weaknesses and see how God uses that and works through that. Um, every Christian story is the story of what God has done in our lives. <coughs> so we should share our weakness and troubles in community so that we can experience God. We can allow others to be encouraged. We can grow deeper in community and most of all, glorify God. So my hope is that we can be a community of people who risk our comfort for God's sake, and share our weaknesses, our neediness, and our troubles with each other um, so we can grow more united and be more filled up by the only thing that can truly satisfy us, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we praise you for being in control, for watching over us and caring for us, walking with us through hardship, and shaping us to be more like you. We need your help every day, every hour, in seeing you clearly and choosing your path as a servant. Please help us to share our many burdens and troubles with you and with our community. We pray that we would be a humble people who make space for neediness and experience your grace, truth, and power more deeply every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.